Good morning, church. It's good to be in God's house this morning. We had opportunity to take the staff to a conference in Dallas Wednesday through Friday. We heard a lot of great speakers. It was a time to just be refreshed in God's Word, some good worship and fellowship with one another. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but I always love coming home. I think our church is a special church. You may not know that. You may not recognize that. Sometimes it takes going somewhere else to go, huh, Living Water is a pretty special church, and it's not because I'm in it. I'm part of the reason it's not as special as it could be, uh, but it is a good church, and I'm glad to be here and be able to worship with you uh, this morning. One quick thing before we dive into the Word this morning is uh, just a quick reminder. Two weeks from the day will be our annual Thanksgiving banquet um, and business meeting. We do this every year. Uh, we'll take all these chairs out, set some tables up, have a lot of great food and fellowship. It's an opportunity to celebrate what God is doing. Uh, we'll give you kind of a report on where everything's at financially. And we'll present the financial guidelines for the coming year, and it gives us an opportunity to vote on those. And so I would encourage you to come to that. It is a fun time. Like I said, great food, fellowship. But there's a sign-up sheet there at the back resource table there for desserts and sides. And so if you plan on coming, um, fill out that, that, that sign-up sheet for us. Let us know what you're planning on bringing so we can make sure uh, that we've got everything that we need. Uh, but I promise it'll be a fun time, a good time, and I won't keep it too long. Uh, but it's always just a special night to celebrate together. Also, I would say... Uh, because we do two services back-to-back, sometimes uh, that annual meeting is an opportunity for people to meet people that are like, I didn't know you went to church here. I've been coming here for five years. I didn't see it. You know, it's just kind of a cool uh, thing to be able to get everybody together. So that is two weeks from today, uh, 6 o'clock in the evening right here in the, in the worship center. So um, we're in the book of Ephesians, and, and I want to apologize for those of you that might be getting Ephesians fatigue. It is a thing. Um, but you can be in an area too long or like, man, I'll be glad when we're done with Ephesians. But I don't want you to have that heart and attitude today because God's word is powerful. It's got the ability to change our lives. And as we get to the end and we get fatigued, kind of like at the conference, the, day, the last day of the conference, we're like, man, we were just ready to, to blow the doors off that joint. We're like, man, they were good speakers, but they weren't as good as the first two days. I think you can get fatigued. Um, and so we've been in this series uh, through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Um, and it's been good. It's been rich with a lot of great things that I believe we need to know. Even more so today, uh, the context of what we're, sh- we're, we're talking about, Paul begins to meddle. And he gets into the, the, the home and the workplace. Um, and so the title of the message is Spirit-Led or Spirit-Guided Relationships at Home and at Work. And so uh, I want to read that passage in a moment. I, I want to pray again and um, I want to give you just a quick background just to get us up to speed, remind us of where we're at and why Paul is saying what he's saying and what it looks like. And so let's start with a prayer. Let's do it. Father, we come before you now. God, we want to thank you so much for the promise uh, that we are never alone in this world. No matter what we experience or what we go through, you are with us. Lord, your Holy Spirit dwells within us. I thank you for that promise and I thank you for that hope. Lord, I, I know that Scripture also admonishes us to let the Spirit guide us. And I want to be the first to say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me today as I share your word. Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us in in our homes, at work, in church. Lord, we need you. Um, And so we just acknowledge and confess that today, that you would just open up our hearts, open up our eyes, that we would not approach the text as though we've heard it a thousand times, but we would genuinely say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? How do you want to work through this text in my life today? Lord, I pray that that would be every one of our prayers, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Ephesians, uh, the the backdrop here of what's going on. Paul writes this letter to 
the Christians in Ephesus, and he writes it from prison. It's one of the prison letters. And in it, he shares our identity of Christ, who we are in Christ. What does the gospel do for us or what has it accomplished on our behalf? And so chapters 1, 2, and 3, he just begins to unpack all of that, who we are in Christ. Now, when you read that, I believe that for the believer, for the follower of Christ, it should well up with, within you a sense of just awe and like excitement because, wow, he did all of that for me? May I remind us that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him? And that while we were in the middle of our sin, Christ died for us. In addition to Christ dying for us, that forgave our sins, by the way. He says he chose us in advance. He adopted us to be his people. He gave us uh, an inheritance kept in heaven for us. He let us in on the mysterious plan regarding Christ, something that all the Old Testament prophets knew nothing about. But we as a church have the, the gospels that tell us what God's plan was from the beginning of time regarding Christ and the church. That's good news, right? And then he says, hey, I'm going to give you a piece of myself. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us until the day of redemption. And so that's good news. That's just in the first chapter of Ephesians. And then he begins to go on and say, listen, once you were in the darkness, but now you are children of the light. So you should live as children of the light. Uh, once you were outsiders, but now you've been brought near because of the gospel of Christ. And so he begins to unpack all of this in chapters 1, 2, and 3, praying that they would really get it. And I think that's a prayer that's relevant today for Christians to really understand who they are in Christ. It goes to our identity. When you don't know who you are, you really don't know what to do with it. But when you do know who you are and what the gospel has done on our behalf, it should change our lives. Amen? And so in chapter 4, he begins with that transitional statement. Therefore, Paul says, I, prisoner... Of the Lord, for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling. And so the word worthy is axios. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the balance of scales and how chapters one, two, and three, Paul saying, This is what the gospel has done for you. And it's heavy, it's weighty. And he says, Now, in view of that, considering what he has done for us, I want to ask you and beg you to live a life worthy. So of equal weight, counterbalance, proportion to what God has done for us to the gospel. gospel. And so he says, I want you to walk differently. To live as children of light, it means that we're going to talk differently. We're going to walk differently. Our lives are going to be changed. He says, don't live any longer like the Gentiles live. You're no longer a Gentile. You're a child of God. And so it should change the way we live. Amen? If you agree with that statement. I got, I got all day. So it should change us. And then in chapter 5, he says, you need to imitate God. Like, I mean, that's the goal. You need to imitate God. And so he broke it down into to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Now, now when he gets to verse 15, it kind of goes with the text that we're going to read. Uh, and he says, so be careful how you live, not like fools, but like those who are wise. And in today's crazy, it, that's a, a very relevant word for us too, to live like those who are wise, not as fools. Don't be drunk with wine that could ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And he says, the evidences of being filled with the Spirit are singing the hymns and songs, the spiritual song among yourself, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, and further, so he's extending it, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God. What does it look like? And so let me say this before we jump into it. Verse 22, every man on the planet probably could quote by, from heart, you know, by heart this verse, women submit to the husband. 
I grew up with that verse, right? And I grew up with it out of context, but I want to spend a few moments on verse 21 because it is the key, and it's the umbrella for which all this other stuff that we're going to read today falls underneath, and we can't miss this. And so let's read it all in its entirety, and we'll go back and break it down. So it says in verse 21 of chapter 5, read with me, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm. I wish it said on Monday there, but it doesn't. So work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. I want to take a bird's eye perspective of that verse. As I said, most of the time we'll break it down and we'll focus on the first part of that, but I see it better falling under the umbrella of being led by the Spirit. What does it look like to walk worthy of the calling? Paul's saying live a life worthy of the calling. One of those areas is to let the Spirit guide us. And as the Spirit guides us, He's going to produce fruit. He's going to change the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we handle the, the context of the church. How I many you know we're all one body now? And, and the gospel brings unity. He says you've got to protect the unity. But I would say this. It is easier for us to show up for one hour and let the Spirit guide us in the context of a church service. The real work is when we go home. Shane, you're meddling now. That's what Paul's doing too, so I'm just going to go with what he says. Because the reality is when we go home, we take the gloves off. We take the filter off. Our kids know us better than anybody else knows us. Our wife knows the real us. Our husbands know the, the real wife, right? So you understand that at work or at church, we can come here and we can say, oh, God is good. When I was a kid, I witnessed this. You're having a fight in the car on the way to church. I mean, you're just getting reamed. And it's like, we're at church now. Put on a nice face and smile. And you're like, okay. And you're like smiling. And how are you doing? We're blessed. 
I almost died back there, but we're blessed. I mean, we do that, and we put on a plastic smile, we put on a face, we put on a mask, and so for one hour we can hold it together, but the real work, I believe, begins when we leave the church service on Sunday. Amen? So then we get in the car again with those people that were so close together. Family? And he says, like, let the Spirit guide you in the context of the family and work. It's under that umbrella that I think all of this shows up. And those are like examples of what it looks like to, verse 21, submit to one another. Say one another. Please don't miss this. Because the submission that we're called to perform, if you will, or to walk in, is one that is not just a one-way street. It's a mutual submission in the body of Christ. And in the context of husband and wife, it's a mutual submission. Uh, the word submission um, comes from two words, hupa and tasso. It means under, and it means rank or range, to place or to arrange under. Think military rank. Any of you ever served in the military? Thank you for your service, but you understand the importance of rank. What would a military be if there were no rank? Everybody just did what they wanted to do, right? We understand the need for functionality to have some sort of a, a rank, and that's what is spoken of here. It's not like a, you're more important than the other person. It's like as it goes to functioning in this body, there needs to be a system, a blueprint, a plan, if you will. And God said it's to let the Spirit guide you at home and at work. And so here's how it's going to look. Further, followers of Christ submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We could just stop there. That's it. That's it. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit, to let Him lead us, to live a life worthy of the calling, is that each one of us just have this mindset all the time to just submit to one another. Like, not my way. I mean, i got my ideas, i got my plans, but I'm willing to hear you out. And I'm willing to say, you know what, it's not about me. I'm going to let you take the front seat for a while. That mutual submission is a beautiful thing. Paul speaks again in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Philippians, and he says it, uh, we're familiar with this, like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's putting their needs ahead of yours. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Wait a minute, Shane. Isn't Jesus God in the flesh? Yes. But when it comes to the functioning of the plan, he's like, I'm willing to submit to the will of the Father. Amen? This Jesus, who at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus, he humbled himself. He yielded to the will and plan of the Father. And so as it comes to functionality, how things work, this is God's plan for life, is that we submit ourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. He goes on now to give six examples of what that looks like. Okay, verse 22, for wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Because this little parallel, this picture, if you will, that you know Christ is the head of the church, and we know that Christ is in charge, and we should submit to the leadership and the headship of Christ. Amen? We get that in the church, right? So he says, the same way the, the husband is the head of his wife, like Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. I put a question mark there. Because I live in 2023, and I know what people have asked me. Everything? Shane, you don't know what I have to deal with. 
my husband is an idiot. How do you do that? I mean, and, and I know that there's some situations that are far worse than that. And those are the things that we wrestle with. How do you do that? Well, Peter, uh, talking about the role of the wives, he says it this way. When it comes to, you know, just having a, a husband that is not in the faith. And I say this goes both ways, by the way, but he's talking to the wives. Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outer beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And so he said, like, submit to the husband in everything. He's like, sometimes just your life and your devotion to Christ is enough to influence them, convict them, and to win them over. I would say sometimes there are going to be times whenever you're in a situation where you're like, man, my husband is asking me to do something that goes against my conviction and what I believe the Word of God teaches me. Can I remind you that our first responsibility is the submission to Christ, number one. The same message I would have for government. Like, hey, we're to yield to the government, those in charge. But once the government tells me to do something that violates my convictions, I'm like, peace out. I'm going to follow Christ. Daniel did it. Gave us an example, right? And I would say in the context of marriage, the same way. Husband's asking you to do or mistreating. I have advocated for people splitting up before. Like, hey, that's a violent situation. You need out of that. I hate divorce because God hates divorce. But I think there's times whenever it is so tense that it's just got to be handled delicately. But when possible, wives, your role is to submit to the leadership of the husband. Now, guys, that's a heavy role for us to wear because I remember some big decisions in my life that I had to make knowing that, you know, I'm the one that's going to be accountable for God one day as the head of the house. And I'd ask my wife, hey, Rachel, what do you think we should do? She's like, you know what, um, here's what I think, but you're the one that has to make the decision, so I will yield to whatever you want to do. And I'm like, great. I wanted an answer. And she pulled the, you know, you're the leader of the house card, you know, like, figure it out, big boy. But I love that because it's a principle that, you know, the opposite of submission is like rebellion, pushing back, you know, just disobedience. And so to submit, and, and that way is just a beautiful picture of saying, hey, I recognize that I've got a voice, I've got wisdom too, but when it comes to the decision time, I realize that you're the head of the house, you're the one that's accountable to God, and I'm going to yield to what, you, what does that do? It puts her under the umbrella of God's protection, amen? And so that's enough for the wives. Verse 22, for husbands... What does it look like to submit to one another in love out of reference for Christ? For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. There's two things that jump out here. Number one is it's a sacrificial love. It's the agapeo love that we understand. Agape is the deepest form of love, selfless, sacrificial love. Aren't you grateful that Jesus gave up his life for his bride, the church? And he says, husbands, your submission to one another, is, it looks like this. I'm going to ask the wife to submit to your leadership, but I'm asking you to show love to her like Christ showed to the church. And that's a sacrificial love. It means it's not about you all the time. It means that you're going to sacrifice things for love. It says he gave up his life for her to make her holy, clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. It is a sanctifying love. If you look at that context, that's what Christ does for us. I think the influence of the husband in the, in the home, especially in the context of the marriage, to lead by example 
let the, the word of God lead of the marriage has a cleansing effect, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I don't remember where it was at, but I heard there was a study done where they stuck a mirror in a public place. And I don't remember what the percentage was, but they said by far men were the ones that would stop and admire themselves in the mirror even more than the women. I'm like, uh-uh. It's true. We love ourselves, don't we? Paul says, love your wives the same way you love your own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. He nurtures it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. He's going to say, as as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. I think that we need to bring back this picture, this imagery of what the holy matrimony, a man and woman become, when they, when they become married, it is two independent persons that are joined together in one. Therefore, what God has put together, let no man separate. It's a beautiful bond, amen? And so in the context of marriage, it's not just me and her, it's, it's us. It's one. And, and to live a life that's led by the Spirit of God in the context of the home is to say, hey, I need to understand there's a rank, there's a role, and for that to function properly and healthy is to understand, like, for, for my wife in this context, it's not me putting her down like, you, you don't mean nothing to God. Um, it means that there's a, there's a system of order. And she's like, I know that God has placed you in that position, and I'm trusting you to lead me well. And for the husband, it's even heavier because he's like, hey, big boy, you got to lead in, in love. you got to show that submission in love, and it's a sacrificial and it's a serving love. Verse 33 says, so anyone, or again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want to just throw this out there for you. If you've never read it, pick up a book by, I think it's Emmett Egerich, called Love and Respect. Love and Respect. And and it's a a great book, but it kind of outlines the, the greatest needs for men and women. Men want respect. Women need that love, that security, that protection that comes with love. And so for men, respect, it looks like this. We go out into the community and another dude disrespects me. The old saying, we're duking it out in the street. You disrespect me, we're going to fight, right? And you get into this marriage relationship and you get a wife who's spouting off or pushing back and shows disrespect. My mama taught me it's not nice to hit girls and so now i got a problem. Whoa, you disrespected me. What do I do with that? And so what we normally do is we retreat, Right? I'm going to go to the boys and we're going to hang out or I'm going to go to the shop or I'm going to go find something to do away from you because you're disrespecting me right now. I don't want to be around you. And what that communicates to the wife is he don't love me. He's not willing to stay around here and work this out. And so you see this vicious cycle, love and respect or lack of, and how it kind of feeds into an unhealthy relationship in the marriage. So please understand this, that the, the, the big umbrella is that we submit to one another. It's a mutual submission. And what that looks like for the wives is submission to the head of the home as unto the Lord. So look a little higher. Set your sights a little higher. My husband's not worthy of me submitting to. Look a little higher. As unto the Lord. I'm going to do it as though I'm doing it for the Lord. I bet if the Lord came in and said, would you make me something or would you fix this for me? We're like, yeah, right? And so for the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to not look at uh, the, the, the close target, but to look at the greater as Christ loved the church. He's our goal, and we're letting the Spirit lead us. That's the first two examples. The second one, or excuse me, the third one is verse 6. <clears throat> Children, this is another one I heard a lot growing up. I don't know why. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. 
This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Side note, um, that's Exodus chapter 20, and if you read on in the law, uh, back then, when a child dishonored or disrespected a parent, they would take that child, yes, your little baby, out to the city gates, and they would stone them to death. And so when he says that your life may be long, you have a long life on earth, that was literal back then, but I think there's some application in for us. That, I mean, we just sent them to time out now, I think, right? Maybe a little spanking. No dessert. But he calls the children. This is what submission, mutual submission looks like for the children. And I would say this does not stop when we get, I just can't wait till I'm old enough to get out of the house and I don't have to mind you anymore. But this goes even into adulthood, this obedience and this honor. One of them's action, the other one's attitude. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Not because they're worthy parents to be obeyed, but because you belong to the Lord. And I'm letting the Spirit lead me, right? And so I obey my parents. You're like, how does that work when you're adults? Well, obviously, they're their own people. I don't want to micromanage their life, but how many know that we spent 18 years pouring, investing, warning, sharing wisdom with them? And so for me, what that looks like is even as adults, I hope that my adult children still obey the teachings that they heard from Dad. That they'd watch out for the pitfalls that I've warned them about. Amen? So obey is like, hey, you're adults. You know what? Your parents still have a lot of wisdom. Like, I want to honor them and I want to obey them because it's the right thing to do. The attitude of, of honoring them. It's the first commandment with a promise. It's just that things will go well for you and that you'll have a long life on earth. The parents' role, and, and moms are invested heavily into the the upbringing of the children to nurture them to maturity but dads have this role as well so nurturing them to maturity leading them to a productive life i think every parent wants to see their kids grow up to a productive life amen and in our culture today where you see some of the younger people that the disrespect they have for authority and the lack of honor they have for their own parents i've seen some stuff that would make your hair curl you're like man i can't believe what i'm seeing or that's the culture we live in today but we're called to live differently as far as of Christ, to let the Spirit guide us in the context of the home, it looks like this. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus actually addressed this with the Pharisees. They were questioning on some things, and uh, they were saying, hey, Jesus, your guys are not washing their hands, which is traditional for us. And Jesus then says that familiar, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he goes on to say, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, he gives them an example. Moses gave you this law, Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. That sounds like adult kids, doesn't it? Sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give God what I have uh, would have given to you, right? I've considered it sacred. It's de- de- dedicated to God, and I could have, you know, tons of excess, but, you know, I, I've dedicated it to God, so mom, dad, sorry, I can't help you. Verse 12, he says, In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, and this is only one example among many others. So I feel like that this applies even beyond the years in the home, but as adult children to continue to obey and honor parents. It'll look different, but I think we get that, right? I got all day. Husbands, wives, children. Look at verse 4. Notice it doesn't use the word parents. It uses the word fathers. 
Why fathers? Because moms are just as dedicated at raising up children. Uh, so is it because there was a problem back then where the fathers were absent and they were just doing their thing and let the women raise the kids and all that good stuff? Or is there something else going on there? I think it goes back to the order, right? The structure. So Paul's calling out the fathers. Why? Because they're the head of the family. The responsibility is on their shoulders. So he says, hey, dads, be really careful how you deal with your children. Don't deal harshly with them. Don't provoke them to anger by the way you treat them. And most of the times it's the dads who, hello, it's the dads who do that. Rather, bring them up. That is nurture, lead them to a productive life. Lead, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. So, so far he's saying, like, this is what it looks like to be spirit-led in the context of a home. And as I said a moment ago, I feel like we get to the end of Ephesians, it's easy for us to start minimizing the importance of Scripture, but I think we need to amp it up right here. Because there's never been a time like right now where we need to see spirit-led Christians in the context of the home and in the, the parental side of things. Amen? Like just to see his influence there. And listen, we live in a world that lives polar opposite to that. And what a great testimony for them to see a family unit that is healthy and there's love and there's respect and the kids that are, you know, just honoring their parents. And um, that, that's not what the world usually expects, but it's what we're called to do as followers of Christ, to submit to one another in love of Christ, wives, husbands, children, and fathers. And lastly, these last two Slaves and masters, well, we don't use those words any longer, but it absolutely fits within the context of the work. And how many know this is a great place for us to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in the context of work? Especially in some of the workplaces that we have to work. It's like to be a Christian in the workplace is a challenge for some. In fact, so much of a challenge that they'll leave that at the door. And they'll say, hey, today I can't let anybody know I'm a Christian because it's probably going to cost me at work. And so let me just do what I need to do, buckle down, get the work done, and get home, and I can do that. The problem is we don't live in a compartmentalized life. We're Christians 24-7. And it's to be influenced all throughout our life. And so if you're an employer, hopefully you would look to people who are committed to Christ. You know what? They're committed to Christ then they're going to want to honor Christ. They're going to do their work as though they're doing it for him and not me. And that sounds like a good person to have on my team, right? And so think about this. Employee, be that kind of person. I, you hear stories of people, I'm a follower of Christ, but they're lazy. They don't show up to work. they got bad attitudes. They get stuck. They're just you know, causing drama. You're like, you need to be fired. Sorry. But as a follower of Christ, to be able to show up and say, listen, I want to be the hardest worker. I want to have the greatest attitude. And I always want to be respectful of those over me. That's what he says, um, slaves or employees, obey your earthly bosses, if you will, with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. There's this theme there. Have you noticed that? Out of reverence for Christ, as unto the Lord, for bosses, employees, as you would serve Christ. Try to please them only when they're there watching us. It says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm, even on a Monday, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That's the goal, isn't it? It changes the attitude if you start looking at it. Look, look, I know I got this jerk of a boss, and I can't say that because it'd be God, and that would be like blasphemous, so I'm not going to say that. But when I was... In the secular workplace, this jerk of a boss, and I'm supposed to yield to them. They're just, they're jerks. They're hard to work for. And 
Um, if you can just raise your, your attitude and your focus to say, I'm going to do this job as though I'm doing it for my Father in heaven. And how many you know we would want to do a really good job for him? He's like, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord rather than for people. And he says, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. One day, we're going to stand before him, and, and, and it's all going to be made clear to us. And what your boss might not have seen, um, God sees it. He's like, God, I wanted to honor you in everything that I do. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you are my testament. You're my witness in a broken world, and you allowed the Holy Spirit to lead you, even in the context of the workplace. Well done, right? Submission, mutual submission. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master, Christ, right? And, and let me just bring it full circle. Remember, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is all that's been done for us in the gospel. Are you grateful for that? Paul's making it absolutely clear. This is what's been done for us. Now, I just want you, I, I beg you, I challenge you, I urge you, I compel you to live a life equal to that. We've got our work cut out for us, don't we? And some of the ways we do that is just to recognize that in the body of Christ, we're all one. And we're going to have to deal with each other, so we need to learn how to protect unity, forgive, be kind, be patient. But then when we get home, the real mission field is right there in home. The real mission. What, what good would it be if we were like uber successful in the community, in the workplace, or even in ministry, and our own family is in shambles at home? That's the real mission field. Amen? So it's an appeal to all of us, really, if you think about it. And before I bring this to the pulpit, I, I promise you, I look at me. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a boss. How, how does this look for me? And, and, and just to say, would you allow me to more and more allow the Holy Spirit to lead me? And as I realize it's not about me, but I'm willing to submit myself to other people for the sake of Christ, out of reverence for Christ. How many know that's the ultimate goal? To live a life worthy of the cause, to let the Spirit lead us, guide us, even in the context of the home and at work. And I believe... It is urgent um, in today's world and workplace and homes like never before. We are, as we said last week, we're towards the end, man. It's like there's an expiration date on the world. We don't know when it is, but it's close. It's closer today than it ever has been before. And so uh, I can't think of anything greater for us to put our hearts and minds to say, Holy Spirit, I, I've been kind of doing it my own. And I've jacked it all up. I need you to lead me. Help me to be a better husband for the wives. Help me to be a better wife. Help me to overlook each other's faults and not pick everything out about them. Help me to be less harsh with my children, knowing that I'm raising them up and I want them to succeed in life, right? For kids, help me to honor mom and dad, even when it's hard. Help me to just live in a way that so I'm doing it for God and not for them. At work, let me be the best boss that I can be, that I just reflect that Christ is in me and treat everybody with respect and not just overbearing and rude and mean and and for employees to say the same thing, look, let me go in and give it my all. And I want to be that kind of an employee that people are fighting over. Like, I need that person to work on my team because they get it. What kind of a difference would it make? What kind of difference would it make if we really took this serious and said, what if I allowed the Holy Spirit to just take control? And I let myself, my frustrations and my expectations kind of just go by the wayside and say, you know, how do I put myself and just yield from time to time, however it looks in the context, Yield to one another, submit to one another. What would my marriage look like? I have a feeling it would look better. And I would say this again to the marriage. Like I have never seen a, a woman struggle with 
the, the command to submit to the husband as unto the Lord when I see the husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church. There's mutual love and respect and care for one another. Amen? It's just a beautiful design. Again, it's not a, it's, it's not a mean thing. It's not the way we, we take it sometimes, but it's God's order. It's God's divine blueprint for spirit-led, spirit-guided relationships at home and at work. So how do you respond to that? What is your response to that? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. And, and I hope that God has spoken to us um, today through his word, because his word's powerful. It's not my words. His word's where the power's at. That's what I fully rely on, amen? Me and David were talking about this on the way home, and we're convinced that you can get up and just read from the scriptures with no commentary, no exegesis. Just read the scriptures. There's power in that. And the Holy Spirit can use that to speak to people's lives. It's my prayer every week that God would continue to grow us more and more into his image. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough that you've revealed your word to us. We thank you for the promise of your presence. We thank you for all that we are in the gospel, what you've accomplished on our behalf. Lord, not because we deserved it or we earned it, but by just a work of grace, we thank you. Lord, when you get to that point where you say that we need to live a life worthy of that, an equal weight or proportion of that, that's where the real work begins. And we can't do it. The, the reality is in our own strength, we cannot do it. We need the Spirit. We need his guidance. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just ask that you would just make that absolutely real in our hearts and our minds right now. And, and each individual in the room, in whatever context it is, that you're, you want to speak to them, that we would just understand our need for your leading and that we would genuinely say, Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me right now. We're, we're in a tight spot. We're, we're fighting again. Or we're in this same old argument again. God, I need you to lead me. What do you want me to do? Father, if we would just stop and check the emotions and, and, and the offenses at the door and just say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Lord, I know that we would, we would walk differently. And I believe there's, a, there's never been a time like today for us to just truly get this and to put it into practice. Because the world's watching, Lord, and we are the light. And we're, our lives are a testimony. And they need to see that there's power, Lord, in your word and, and, and us uh, serving you and yielding to you and your leadership. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would give us the courage to take the steps that we need to take. Maybe there's a conversation that happened between parent and children or husband and wife, Lord, at work. God, that we would truly understand that what we're doing, we're doing it not for their praise and their, and their, their approval, but, Lord, we want to we honor you. We want to reverence and fear you. And so, God, I pray that that would be the goal for each one of us here today, that we want to do everything that we do as though we're doing it for you, for your glory. And God, I just thank you for all that you're doing. And I pray that you just continue to help us be sensitive to your leading and ready to take those steps of obedience when you call us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.